Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to Natural 20-somethings, an audio program detailing and discussing the danger, depth, difficulties, diversions, dice, decadence, and drama of D&D. We're ever so pleased you're here. Hello, and welcome to Natural 20-somethings. I'm Olivia. And I am Laurel. And uh, for today's episode, we wanted to get uh, a little crunchy, <laughs> get into the nitty-gritty, uh, and take a stab at character optimization. Obviously, the player's handbook doesn't really have anything to say about character optimization, so we took from, you know, the... The wisdom of the World Wide Web. RPG bot. If you don't know what this is, I... That's fine. Then you have never Googled character optimization 5e. So uh, what they have to say about it is uh, character optimization at its simplest is the act of looking at two choices when building a character and choosing the option which will make your character more mechanically effective. The practice is a bit more nuanced if only because the abundance of options makes weighing those choices challenging. So knowing that, that wonderful piece of internet wisdom. Thank you, World Wide Web. From a purely numbers standpoint, what does an optimized character look like to you on paper, Laurel? Look like to me on paper. First of all, um, I will state openly I am a hoe for point by. <laughs> I don't know why every episode has so far has started with me saying like, tragedy slut, hoe for... <laughs> Point by, okay. Let's just make it like a running gag. Yeah, I love point by. I think point by is like the bee's knees of all the things because it allows me to ensure that my character is good where I need them to be good. And it also forces me to make, you know, a decision of where I want them (laughs) to be bad. Because I do, I believe very strongly in a, a character that is flawed in some way. Like you can't be good at everything. Being good at everything negates the need for a party and it's a lot less fun. So to me, an optimized character has as high a stat as they possibly can starting out in their primary statistic uh, and then as high a stat as they possibly can in their secondary statistic which some classes don't necessarily have one of those but if you're playing like a half caster you'll need to bump you know whatever your fighting statistic is and then also whatever your spell casting statistic is and then you gotta have some constitution baby I've heard people talk about constitution as a dump stat and it stresses me out <laughs> where is your HP coming from? Yeah, like, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> Constitution is a dump stat. Please, no, God, how much HP do you have? Like, that's that is, those are the first things I will always put stats in, are my, my primary ability, secondary ability, and constitution. Yeah, well, it's kind of hard to argue with that because you're the one who taught me. <laughs> Indoctrination! I also really love point by. I've only played one campaign where we rolled for stats and they ended up being very good. And I will say I do really enjoy having like a plus five and a minus two on the other end. Like that's enjoyable <laughs> to me. But yeah. also it stresses me out when we roll for stats. I <laughs> Yeah, it's it's anxiety inducing for me, honestly. Yeah. It is. But mostly, I really like point by because it makes the little, like, number crunching goblin in my head really, really happy. Like, it it just... I love optimization just as a an intellectual puzzle. Like, I love it as an exercise. So when I create characters, when I create their stats, I am also just like, okay, how can I make this character the most effective possible? And I'm with you there, you know? I will put most of it into my primary stat, and then I'll pick a secondary stat. Actually, no, I don't necessarily pick a secondary stat. That's the thing. I don't really play half-casters or anything like that. Yeah, see, and I play a lot of paladins. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
so many paladins. Also, wait, that's not true. Monk is my favorite class, and they have two abilities mostly. But um, I don't know. It, it depends on for me what the character is doing, what I want them to do. But I will mostly put things into Constitution unless I feel like for a character reason I need to bump. You know, it's usually intelligence or wisdom. One of the other mental stats. Yeah, definitely. I agree wholeheartedly. I also tend to choose races that get boosts to primary statistics that I need. Like, if I can start out with a 16 in point by to my primary stat because I got a plus two bump from somewhere or a plus one bump from somewhere racially, I will always go for that. Right. Which, like, for me, kind of limits me in a lot of ways in terms of, like, character creativity of, like, you know, I would never make, like, a drow barbarian because I'm not going to get a stat boost to anything that's going to help me out. (laughs) Right. So I think that, like, rolling for stats in that sense would allow, you know, some freedom there. But in my mind, rolling for stats, what you end up with is, like, a plus one or plus two in everything, typically. Like, on average, that's what you're going to get. Unless you're doing the crazy thing where you, like, roll a d20. (laughs) That's just your stat, which stresses me out more than I can possibly express. (laughs) Do what you want to do, boo. D&D is a a sandbox. Play your way. But I will watch in terror as you roll a two for one of your stats. Mm-hmm. That would be me. So, you know, I, I think I think that optimization for me, while, you know, I'm coming at it from a standpoint of still wanting my character to be balanced. Like, I don't want to come in with a character that is going to bowl over every other member of the party and being good at all of the things. Like, that's not fun to me. I like to have those weaknesses in places, but I will very rarely, but for character reasons, decide to disadvantage myself in specific mental stats sometimes. So my next follow-up question question to your question would be how do like these numbers differ on paper from optimized character to optimized character like optimization doesn't look the same class to class right well it's more than class to class I think it's DM to DM mm, yeah an optimized character for like one campaign is going to look very different for one DM'd by somebody else because some DMs are very very hard into rolling like if you talk to anyone and try to convince them of anything it's a roll mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or they're very, very uh, strict on combat or they're less strict on like distances and that kind of thing. So optimized characters are going to be different depending on your play style. I think that's the number one thing for me. It's that, you know, you can't ever truly have an optimization. No. And it's funny, though, because I <laughs> I love RPG bot. I love looking up like monk optimization but famously I hate reading optimizations for monks because I think they get it completely wrong I, monks are mis- monks are misunderstood on a very fundamental level and that, that is a topic for its own episode for sure it really is but thinking about that like I look at sometimes just for fun after I make a character and I've played it for a while I'm like wow this is really effective I'll just like google it and look at the optimization online and what people say about it and it'll be like this isn't optimized at all I'm like, but wait, this works really, 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 really well for my campaign. Most people would be like, you should not have a cleric warlock multi-class. That's dumb. Like, <laughs> you're spreading yourself too thin. And um, I'm sitting pretty with, like, 11 cantrips. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I have a barbarian cleric multi-class. And he, bees knees. Love that guy. <laughs> 
But it is, to be fair to that multi-class, though, it only works at level 10 and above. Like, you're mm-hmm. very weak on the battlefield <laughs> until you're level 10. But I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you've said about, like, optimization looks different table to table. And I would even argue, like, player to player. A player at the same table with the same, like, you know, character with the same abilities and the same DM, but a different player might not have as effective a grasp on that character or how to operate them or what they even want them to do. And so I think that like, while initially I took optimization guides as like, this is this is the, the tried and true truth. Like no one can disagree with this. This is a fact and it's objective. And then I started making more like flavor decisions and like I wanted to do things that were different and I wanted to make other choices with my characters. And then like I, some of my favorite classes and like subclasses are the ones that get the like <laughs> yellow or red marking. And I'm like, but I love it. <laughs> like, But it works for me. And I think that like I still definitely I don't know that it can ever be truly objective in what optimization looks like aside from I guess ultimately optimization is can your character succeed mathematically at what you want them to be able to do mechanically does your character do what you need them to do and you want them to do well and if the answer is yes then your character's optimized right and I think the key phrase is do what you want them to do absolutely because You know, you can hand a character sheet with, like, the objectively optimized character, like a specific paladin multi-class that has all of the abilities and can, like, do, like, eight attacks per round or whatever it is to someone, and they won't run them like that. Yeah, totally. They'll run them completely different. And so what one person's optimization is is going to be completely different from what another person's optimization is, which you've mentioned. But the key is, like, what do you want your character to be able to do and like how do you play it's no optimization is about knowing yourself as a player more than it is knowing the game and knowing the rules absolutely and I was like piggybacking off of that which I I sense that you have more to say and I want you to say it so hold it in your mind I think that that just comes with time and experience and learning. So like when you're a brand new player coming in, it's like, well, I don't know how I play. I don't know what I want to do, but it's like, just give it time and you'll figure it out and you'll make those mistakes and those choices and you'll learn. Yes, absolutely. And the thing I was sort of leading up to as well is like, you know, you can know the rules of D&D inside and out and they can help you, but they can also limit you. So to go back to what you mentioned about, you know, I am also very much a like, again, it goes back to the puzzle thing that I love about building a character. I'll choose races that suit the class. That's how I narrow down my choices. But it also limits my creativity in certain ways. Like, for instance, um, I helped my brother create a character, and I was like, well, what kind of character do you want to play, and what class do you want to play? And he came up with a half-orc druid, which is like, I I never in a million years would have come up with that, because I'm like, oh, half-orcs aren't good at what druids are supposed to be good at. But, you know, with Tasha's, Tasha's best book of 2020 will die on this hill. With Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, you can customize it so much more easily, but it is also limiting. If you know the rules too much, sometimes optimization limits you. Yeah. I think I think that in some ways, the deeper you get in, and I'm speaking from personal experience and not like making a, a generalized statement about like all people who play D&D, but speaking from experience knowing too much gets in the way of me all the time I'm like well I can't do that I can't do this blah 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 blah. that's not going to be particularly useful and it's like well maybe just pick something because it's fun yeah you know like in a lot of ways I am jealous of people 
who just like make a crazy character because it's fun and then have a great time playing it. Like me, I'd be so mad that my character like wasn't doing this or wasn't doing that. But then there are people who just come in with like (laughs) the craziest shit and have a great time. And in my mind, is that optimization on paper? No. Is it optimization in practice? Absolutely. Numbers are never going to translate to how you actually play. It's never going to work out that way because otherwise you would just be playing something like World of Warcraft or Civilization or, you know, a turn-based numbers game, essentially. But the beauty about D&D, why we play D&D, is because there's this undefinable something, this, like, thing that you and only you can bring to your character and bring to your table. Mm -hmm. It's the decisions that you make to use the abilities that you have. Like, spells have, you know, language and abilities have language, but in looking at them and then sort of, like, shaping and warping them to do what you want them to do like that's the game and I do think numbers help in offsetting some of the like chance mechanically and mathematically that like like a rogue having reliable talent you know your lowest role is a 10 on something you have expertise in like that is there to ensure that you don't fail basic lock picking checks etc so the numbers are there to help but like there is still always a chance that you can fail like (laughs) that nat one can always come for you in in your darkest nightmares That's why we play, though, baby. That is why we play. <laughs> no, I love it. And I then that's the thing, too, is that I, I love the idea of failure. As long as it's being used at a table where it's like it's not treated as punishment or like a negative thing. It's like, mm-hmm. let's turn this into a character moment. Let's, you know, do something fun and silly with this. Like, And I think that's why even in optimization, I love point by because it forces me to be, quote unquote, disadvantaged in some areas. If I'm going to have a high strength, high charisma character, by necessity, they're gonna be like really clumsy or dumb as hell like it's just yeah but that's what makes it fun if this character is perfect and can never fail I don't know I'm not interested in that as a storyteller I like characters who are flawed I like characters who can grow absolutely and I think that is something that I would advise people looking at optimization guides to think about where it's like your character is going to be bad at things just by virtue of rolling the dice Mm -hmm. so optimization does doesn't mean that your character is going to do everything well all the time. It doesn't mean it's going to work all the time. It doesn't even mean that what they're good at is going to happen for you all the time. It increases your chances, certainly. But I think, you know, you're there to have fun. You're there to be a team player. You're there to fail. And you're there to succeed. And I think keeping that in mind when you build your character, when you optimize for you, you can't go wrong. Some magic we just find. Spellbinding. For spellbinding this week, uh, the ever-popular fireball. (laughs) Uh, In an episode about optimization, I simply had to choose this spell to talk about. A bright streak flashes from your pointing finger to a point you choose within range, then blossoms with a low roar into an explosion of flame. Each creature in a 20-foot radius sphere centered on that point must make a dexterity saving throw. A target takes 8d6 fire damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. The fire spreads around corners. It ignites flammable objects in the area that aren't being worn or carried. So, what makes fireball so powerful? I mean, other than the fact that it's a giant flaming fireball... (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it's 
it's like the quintessential area of effect spell. It does a lot of damage. It's not one of those save or suck, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can take half damage, but everyone's gonna take some damage unless you're a rogue or a monk. But And it's so versatile actually i take it back it's not versatile at all it's a giant fireball yeah i was like i don't i don't know that i agree with (laughs) i don't know what you would use a fireball for except for hurting people and it makes a great distraction that's the only other (laughs) thing i can think of Um, I just I think that that's one of the things about fireball for me that's like a fireball amuses me because I like I understand but also don't understand at all why it's like the spell you know it's like everybody wants fireball every wizard has fireball it's just like the hot girl at school <laughs> I don't know but it's like like I acknowledge her popularity and I agree like yeah she's hot but like why do we all like her so much <laughs> I truly how did she get here I don't know fireballs too pick me for you <laughs> I don't know that Fireball itself is pick me. Fireball just kind of like, I don't know, but it gets picked so much. Maybe it is. I think it's popular because it's like the spell. And I think it's one of those things that's just sort of been passed down through the gaming generations. Mm. Like, I remember I got really excited about Fireball because I was like, so I played Dragon Age Inquisition before I ever played D&D. And so when I started recognizing spells from Dragon Age in D&D, I got very excited and Fireball was one of the first ones that I recognized. And so, I don't know, it's just so iconic. Iconic is a good word for it. It's like the quintessential thing that you should be able to do in any fantasy game Mm -hmm. is make a giant ball of fire explode somewhere. Like, right. It's just, it's so like viscerally satisfying in a way. It's like, I cast fireball. It's just like, <laughs> like, it fulfills that little pyromaniac gene that I think everybody who has fantasized about anything ever uh, has in them. And I think, too, there's, it's very visceral in a way. It's a fireball more than something like Tidal Wave, for instance. It's so like obviously harmful and obviously powerful. It's very showy in a very specific way, in a way that I think other elemental area of effect spells don't have. And I think part of that has to do with simplicity. Like you make a giant ball of fire explode, it does 8d6 damage, <laughs> make a deck save. <laughs> like all of the other like AoE elemental spells kind of have like a very complicated convoluted like okay now I got to do eight things and think through like four different effects that this is going to have it's not purely just and now I hurt you with fire <laughs> which yeah. I think little like goblin caveman brain is like hmm good yes destruction by flame it's it's exactly exactly that uh would would you modify it at all I want I want it to have a little more utility than it has quite honestly I don't know but I don't know how I would modify it yeah I don't know that I would modify it. in some ways it almost feels like sacred yeah <laughs> like, this is the holy text of the fireball it shall not be altered I am like those people that are like uh what's that thing that's like the extra part of the bible apocrypha the apocrypha <laughs> I'm like the people that are like, no apocrypha in the Bible, not holy text. No, no. It's just like, I think the spell has just existed as it is for so long that if it was going to be changed, it would have been changed already. It's it, Maybe it's just a perfect spell. Whether you want it or not, some unsolicited advice. So unsolicited advice, a.k.a. just an extension of segment one. (laughs) 
So the question of the day is how do we help people with different play styles fit together as players and as DMs? This one is tricky because I do think that part of it, in my opinion, does come down to finding a table that your play style meshes with. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody at the table has the same play style, but that everybody at the table is comfortable and cool with whatever your play style is and your DM is willing to facilitate and work with you, however that is. I know that that's kind of a cop-out because that's basically like, make a place for yourself. And that's not necessarily helpful. But Olivia, (laughs) what do you think? Okay, that was a Uh, cop-out. I think the sort of first thing that I would say, the first piece of concrete advice that I would give about figuring out how to mesh play styles is to understand your own and to sit down with yourself and go, okay, what do I find fun about D&D? What gives me joy to play? Like, what do I like to do? And I think uh, it's it's gonna be different for every person, but you have to figure out, you know, going like, okay, like, what do my friends have fun doing and for instance like it's like any relationship it's it's compromise all the way Mm -hmm. like for instance in one of my at one of my tables literally every other player at the table is a completionist they want to go into every room they want to open every chest and it's curse of strahd there are many doors and many chests there are many 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 doors and many of them as me an anxiety prone person i don't want to open them don't make me open them (laughs) there could be spiders in there Right, exactly. But I have sort of come to terms with that. Like, okay, like this isn't something that I necessarily enjoy. But I sat down with myself and I was like, okay, what do I enjoy? I'm like, oh, I like character moments. So I try to insert some character moments in the exploration and in that sort of thing um, to make that time more enjoyable for myself. Yeah, I I like that. I think as you were talking, the word uh, compromise sparked in my mind the word communication. I think that there are very few problems in the world that can't be solved by talking to each other like Mm -hmm. and if you talk to each other and the problem gets worse then it's time to leave the situation like if someone's not willing to communicate with you that's on them and if it can't be resolved by talking then you know maybe it's time to take a step back and think of other options but if you set up a space where you can say hey you know I'm not comfortable with this or I'd like to see more of this or I would like to do x y or z and you communicate that both to like your dm or your fellow players or your players if you're a dm and everybody's like willing to do that like i think ultimately i think that communication can lead to that compromise i don't think that that compromise necessarily has to be exclusively made by one player at the table sometimes that is necessary but you can all get to a point where you can decide and talk about what needs to happen at the table to make things better and make things more fun for everybody there and like that's something that i've seen be really effective at some of the tables that i'm at where a dm is like hey do you have any you know critique for me what can I do better at and I can give them things and I'm like I would like to see this 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 and this because I'm a demanding little brat (laughs) as a player but then like seeing that be honored and turned around it makes me even that much more committed to you know like myself making compromises and being willing to stay at that table and do what I need to do to make it work be a demanding little brat (laughs) for a little bit and then sit down and eat your treats We have come 
to the end of our episode. What show and tell inspiration have you brought? This happened to me just today. I was on TikTok, as I always am. I spend way too much time on TikTok, but naturally TikTok has figured out that I like D&D. And I came across this TikTok that was D&D related. It's making me laugh just thinking about it. But like, it made me laugh out loud. And it was just like, I was like, yeah, that's true. And it was something that like, it just filled my soul with this little bit of warmth of like, in some ways, in so many ways, D&D is a universal experience and there's this wonderful community of like other people that like I don't know this guy that made this TikTok but it made me laugh out loud and it like I related to it and it just was like I felt like I was like I'm part of something that's bigger than me and I love that. Thank you dear listener for lending your ears. May the stories you tell be grand and humble in equal measure. May the characters you meet be brimming with adventure. And may the chances you take lead to some natural twenties.